Today on The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. A violation of the second commandment is serious, brothers and sisters. When we worship God, it is imperative that we worship God in the way that God has prescribed. Welcome to The Verdict, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor John Monroe. For followers of Christ, worshiping God is to be our highest priority. But too often, we have a casual view of worship, thinking we can approach God any way we like. Today on The Verdict, we're continuing our study of the Ten Commandments as we focus on the Second Commandment and how to worship God's way. So let's join Pastor John Monroe as he introduces today's lesson. Today we continue to look at the Second Commandment. If the First Commandment prohibited worshiping false gods, the Second Commandment prohibits the false worship of the true God. Any attempt to worship God which distorts or obscures biblical truth must be rejected. There's a tendency to take the trends and fashions of our surrounding pagan culture and import them into our worship. But then our feelings or our tastes or the format of the service become the priority rather than focusing on God being glorified. Nothing should overshadow the reality of our worship of God. We are to worship God as He has instructed. He is to be the center of our worship. So today, let's look not only at false worship, but at what biblical worship means. Now let's read the second commandment. Exodus 20, verse 1. Then God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. We want to learn that no symbols or representations of God are to be made or worshipped. That is in breach of the second commandment. No graven images, no idols are to be made, worshipped or served. I want to suggest to you three reasons for not using false objects or symbols or representations of God in our worship and not bowing down to them. First, false worship distorts, obscures, and limits a true concept of God. Secondly, false worship focuses on man's imagination and creativity rather than on God's revelation. Number three, false worship fashions God according to the surrounding culture. You say, is this serious if we breach this? Yes. A violation of the second commandment is serious, brothers and sisters. Verse 5 again, Exodus 20. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Rather serious, isn't it? We have an example of false worship coming to Leviticus, Leviticus 10. Here are two men, Nadab and Abihu, men who should have known better. They were sons of Aaron. Aaron is the high priest. No doubt he taught his sons very, very careful, went over the law with them as to worship. But in Leviticus chapter 10, we read that they offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded. I'm sure they were very creative. I'm sure they were very cutting edge, these young lads. But they had forgotten the second commandment. What happened to Nadab and Abihu? They were consumed with fire. See, worshiping God incorrectly is serious. And the second commandment is telling us that God opposes false worshipers. The first two commandments remind us that God is a jealous God. And as we learned last week, a jealous God protects that which is precious to him, just as as a husband, I am jealous of my wife in a sense, and I am going to protect her. And if you love your spouse and your family, you would do the same. God does not share his glory with anyone else. What do we read in verse 5? that he visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate him. You say, that's pretty strong. Let me remind you, parents, the spiritual tone of your home, your worship of God in your home, has a tremendous impact on your children. False worshipers may produce children who are also false worshipers, and who also then, to use the words of the commandment, who hate God. Now, God doesn't punish anyone for the sins of another. We know that from Ezekiel 18, verse 20. But when children repeat and imitate the sins of their parents, as they often do, they will be punished for their own sins, even though these sins have been practiced and modeled by their parents. So here's something for us to consider, those of us who are parents. What's God doing in your family life? Your attitude, your approach to God— the way that you speak about God, as we'll learn next week, the way that we worship, the way that we handle the Word of God, the way that we talk about God, the way we talk about our Savior, the way we talk about our fellow believers, our attitude to corporate worship, our attitude to the church has a tremendous impact in your, on your children. What kind of example are you setting? Are you leading your family particularly fathers, mothers, that you're leading your families in a godly way. You know, it's a wonderful thing on a Saturday, and if you've never done it, get out to the sports field. It's a wonderful thing to see hundreds of children on our property kicking a ball or throwing a ball with their parents, grandparents, uncles and aunts. Wonderful to see. But you know, it's even more wonderful to see families coming to church to worship for a father, mother, children, worshiping God together in the Lord's house. Let me close by reminding us that at church, we seek to be biblical worshipers. Biblical worshipers. Biblical worship is a command. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, Psalm 95, verse 6. 
We praise God. We, we love Him. We exalt Him. We find our joy in Him. We serve Him. We love Him with all of our hearts. Everything we do is to be done for His glory. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name. That's it. And worship, of course, is not restricted to an hour or two on a Sunday. For the Christian, worship embraces all of life. Certainly this is the climax of it, but it embraces all of life. A young mother worshiping God by the kitchen sink. A business person worshiping God as he or she drives her car to the next sales meeting. A student worshiping God as she's jogging at six in the morning. A young lad kneeling at his bed at night worshiping God. It is the proper response, the only fitting response of we who are creatures made in the image of God, that we bow down, that we humble ourselves and say, you're the great God and greatly to be praised. You are our Redeemer. You are our friend. You're the one who has saved me. Left to myself, I'd be eternally lost, but you took me and adopted you into your family, and I'm going to be forever with you. And in corporate worship, we reflect on the greatness of God, on His mighty and gracious acts of redemption. We rejoice that He answers our prayers, that He heals the sick. We reflect on His goodness and His grace in our lives. We cannot be silent. If we were, the very stones would cry out. Worship is a command, and biblical worship not only is a command, it is, of course, God-centered. If our music, if our preaching are not God-centered, we may enjoy them. We may leave feeling good about ourselves. We may have been entertained, but we haven't worshipped. We don't worship worship. We're here to reflect on our great, awesome God, to celebrate the greatness and the goodness of God. And the more we grasp that, the better worshipers we will be. John Wesley said that as we sing, we should have an eye to God in every word we sing. Well said. Biblical worship is God-centered. It's also Christ-centered. We are Christians. We are followers of Christ. Yes, we praise God for His creation. We praise God that we're made in His image, but above all else, we praise the Savior who loved us. We are Christ-centered. He must be the focus of our worship. In heaven, we shall surround the throne and say, worthy is who? The Lamb. For thou wast slain, and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's why it's so important that in our hymns, uh, in our songs, we sing of the cross, we sing of Christ, we sing of the blood, because that is central to our worship. Biblical worship focuses on Christ and His work of redemption. That's the problem with some of, not all, but some of the contemporary songs and choruses. There's a lot about I, there's a lot about what I get out of worship, but there's very little about Christ and the cross. We don't want to do that. We want to focus on Christ and His cross. E.V. Hill, the pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church, told in his ministry, of an elderly woman in his church that they called 1800 because they didn't know how old she was. <laughs> but E.V. Hill said that she was very hard on unsuspecting preachers. She used to sit at the front. And when the preacher began to preach, she would say, get him up, 
referring to Christ. Get him up. And after a few minutes, if the preacher didn't exalt Christ, if he didn't get him up, she would shout again, get him up. Evie Hill says, if the preacher didn't get him up, he was in for a long, hard day. <laughs> That's good. That's biblical to get him up. In our worship, to uplift Christ. In our preaching, to uplift Christ. We're not just moral teachers. We're not just telling people to be kind and moral and faithful husbands. We're telling them to be godly, and we're telling them that they need Christ to transform their life and that they need the power of the Spirit of God. It's a command. It's God-centered. It's Christ-centered. It is also Word-centered. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, says Paul to the assembly, to the church in Colossians 3, verse 16. In the Barber of Seville, Figaro sings, if a thing is too silly to be said, it can always be sung. <laughs> we don't believe that. We don't believe that. We believe that our singing, our preaching, our teaching, our counseling, everything that we do must be rooted in the Word of God. And there can be no true worship without the Word of God. It is indispensable to biblical worship because worship is a response to the revelation of God. And so the preaching of the Word must be central in our corporate worship, the exposition of the Word. That's why I'm concerned about the alarming trend in more and more churches where this book, the Bible, has less and less importance, where churches have a very sound doctrinal statement saying they believe in the inspiration of Scripture, even the inerrancy of Scripture, but in practice, drama, dance, music, movies, comedians, anything and everything, are pushing out to the sides the exposition of the Word of God. When I was a boy at school, elementary school, at the end of the term, we used to go to the Church of Scotland, the Kirk, for an end-of-term service, whether we liked it or not. And at the beginning of the service, a man in the Church of Scotland then called the Beadle came in with the minister. And what did the Beadle do? He was carrying the pulpit Bible. It was held high so that everyone could see it. And he carried the Bible, and he put it down on the pulpit. You say, why was that? Were they worshiping the Bible? No, they weren't worshiping the Bible, but they were demonstrating the importance of the Word of God in corporate worship. So when the minister stood up and said, let us worship God, even a little boy understood the importance of the Word. It must be Word-centered. And it involves biblical worship, involves our whole being, our heads, our hearts, our will, our conscience, head and heart, are both important. The Word of God has to be understood by your mind. Your mind matters to God. However, it is possible to come to a service like this and to have more knowledge for your mind to be informed, but you have never yet worshipped. Yes, our minds are to be illumined by the Word of God, but our hearts have also to be stirred, put on fire. If it's just knowledge, we may be smarter, but we've not worshipped. Biblical worship involves head and heart. But it's not all heart, it involves the head. Don't judge corporate worship just by the emotion. Some people, if they have an emotional experience, they say they have worshipped. Well, you can have a lot of emotional experiences without worshipping. 
I've told you before, I have emotional experiences when the bagpipes are played, but that is not necessarily a biblical experience of worship. Although I did hear of the Scotsman who went to New York, first time he'd been out of uh, Scotland, spent some days in about a week in New York City, stayed in a beautiful hotel, went home to the little village in Scotland, and uh, his friend said, well, how did you enjoy America? He said, oh, it's, it's, it's a great place, he says, but he says, these Americans are crazy. And um, I didn't hear one amen there, by the way. Um, I thought it must be someone who would say amen there. But uh, he said, Americans are crazy. And a friend says, what do you mean? He says, well, every night, he says, about two or three in the morning, he said, and the room's on either side of mine in, in the hotel, uh, they're shouting, making a noise, thumping on the walls. He says, dreadful, crazy people. And they said to him, well, what did you do when all this was going on? He says, not much. I just kept playing my bagpipes. So, uh, whatever you get an emotional buzz from, that's fine. That's part God has given us, even us non-musicians. A love for music in our hearts. There's very, very few people who don't have some appreciation of music. What I am saying is that that in and of itself is not worship. Just because something is upbeat or just because we sing an old hymn fellow said to me, you know, we should have more hymns because when we sing the hymns, the hairs on my head stand up. And I thought, well, you know, it's okay for you, but I can't do that. <laughs> and I thought, you know, are we judging, are we judging worship by the emotional reaction? Does worship involve the emotion? Of course it does. God has made us as emotional beings. True worship, the mind is engaged, focused on God's revelation. The heart is warmed, and the will is transformed. That having met God, I leave a transformed and a changed man. Do you have any graven images in your life? Worshiping and serving a false god? Are you truly worshiping God correctly in your home? Is this a passion of your life? Fathers, mothers, church leaders, choir, praise team, that we truly worship God? There's that terrible tendency that we make God down to our level, that we make another molten calf mimicking the world and in so doing, insulting God. The other great danger is to be like the Pharisees who worship God with their lips, but their hearts was far away. Is that who you are? You love the songs. You sang very wholeheartedly, but your heart isn't right. For you coming to church is just to get pumped up, but there is nothing of your heart in it. That is an insult to God as we worship God here and as you worship God, as you sing in the shower, as you jog wherever you are in life, in your own home, as you gather your family around you, may the Spirit of God come and help us. Paul tells of a wonderful experience in the church at first in 1 Corinthians. He says, you know, as you are worshiping God, that an unbeliever or an ungifted person may come into the local church, and as he listens to you, a miracle is going to take place. He falls on his face, worshiping God. Now, this is an unbeliever. This is an ungifted person. And what does he say? Surely God is in this place. Now, when we experience that, we know that we have worshiped. 
Will you come, talking now about corporate worship, when you come every Sunday, would you say, I have come with a desire to worship? We sang, here I am to worship. Would you come with that desire? You say there's going to be some distractions. Of course there are distractions. Your singing may be a distraction to someone. <laughs> right? You may not like a particular song. Something in the choir, some musician, something around you may distract you. There's always distractions, the sound or whatever. But can you come and say, God, help me. I have come to worship. I have come not with a critical heart to rate the music or to rate the preaching, but I've come with a humble heart. And I come today, Lord, saying, I believe that you are going to speak to me today. I'm going to hear your voice. And I want to be like Samuel and say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. You do that? If you come with such an attitude of humility, such an attitude of expectancy, God will speak to you. And as you obey him, he will transform your life. That we would say, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us, plural, let us exalt his name together. And as we hear, as we come, and as we pray, and as we interact, and as the Word of God preached, a holy hush comes over this beautiful sanctuary, and we realize it's not because the musicians are that great. It's certainly not because the preaching is that great, but it is because we have a great God who graciously has revealed Himself to us and who has touched our hearts. And here is a young man who's come into church for the first time today, and he hears the glorious gospel and he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will be saved. Here is a couple who come in, and their, their marriage is very close to breaking point. But in the very presence of God, they receive the hope of God and the freshness of the Spirit of God, and they go and say, now we're going to do it God's way. And here is a man who's been away from the Lord for a long time. He's abandoned his family, and he hears about the greatness of God and the greatness of our Savior. And he falls on his face in repentance. And here is each of us saying, here I am to worship you, God, and to fall on our face and to say, truly, God is in this place. You're listening to The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe and a message titled, The Second Commandment, Worship God's Way. You can revisit this lesson or share it with a friend by going to our website at theverdict.org. And you can also get these programs downloaded automatically by subscribing to The Verdict Podcast. Just search your podcast app for The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. And to complement our current series, we're offering our listeners a new listening guide for our study on the Ten Commandments. This printable workbook will help you follow along as we dive deeper into these important laws from God and discover how God instructs His people to conduct themselves and live in relationship to Him and one another. This comprehensive resource is a great way to enhance your daily Bible study, and it's completely free to download. So get your copy of the Ten Commandments Study Guide by visiting us online at theverdict.org. While you're there, you'll also have the chance to help us reach new listeners with the gospel by supporting our radio ministry with a donation. We're so grateful for fellow believers like you who help us share God's Word across the globe with their financial gifts. So please give today 
by going online to theverdict.org. And by the way, we'd love to have you join us for our Sunday morning worship services here at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, home of The Verdict. To find directions and details or to worship with us via our live stream online, just go to theverdict.org. Now, here's Pastor John Monroe. Well, what's your verdict? Do you believe that you're worshiping the one true God in a biblical way? Or have you just adopted a style which you like rather than considering if your worship is truly in spirit and in truth? This is not to deny our emotions which are God-given, but we must realize that our hearts must be right and our worship must be biblical. Next time we'll think of the third commandment, taking the name of the Lord in vain. It's a message you don't want to miss. Thanks for joining us today on The Verdict. I'm Michelle Davies. Today's program with Pastor John Monroe was produced and sponsored by Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina.